If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Chapter, chapter 16, we're skipping a few chapters and I'll kind of explain why. I've been going through the book of Acts kind of looking for some, church, some passages that talk about how to get your church back in the fight, back in the spiritual warfare that it needs to be in, carrying the gospel to the, to the ends of the earth. And uh, this particular passage is one where I see Paul helping churches and helping himself even keep a missional focus, keeping a focus on that one mission that we're all called as believers to do, carrying the gospel. But let me go through chapters 12 through 15 real quick. I'm just going to give you a quick summary of kind of what's gone on since we last talked last week and, and the martyrdom of, of James and happened in chapter 12. James the apostle, John the apostle's brother, was killed, beheaded by Herod. Peter was arrested, and then he was rescued. He was rescued miraculously by an angel because God didn't want Herod nor the Sanhedrin to get his glory. But then you move into chapter 13, and then the church at Antioch, Syria Antioch, sends Paul and Barnabas on a mission trip, the first one, the very first mission trip. And they go to the island of Cyprus, which is Barnabas' home island. He's from there. And they lead the whole island. Basically, they go from one end of Cyprus to the other, leading people to Christ all the way through it. Even the proconsul of the Roman Empire in Cyprus becomes a believer. Praise the Lord. Then they go up and they, they begin to go through parts of uh, Turkey, a place called Pisidian Antioch, which Paul preaches a great sermon, and I'm going to preach on that next, next Sunday morning for Easter service. He preaches a great, wonderful sermon to the Gentiles and Jews, and many come to faith, but many in the town reject him, and it becomes quite hostile. And uh, eventually they have to flee Pisidian Antioch. Chapter 14, he goes into a town called Lystra, preaches the same message. A lot of people come to Christ, but then they also think Barnabas and Paul are Roman Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. And there's a big to-do and dust-up over that. And eventually Paul is drug outside the city of Lystra and stoned. And they left him for dead. They thought he was dead, the people that stoned him. The disciples of the church there in Lystra gather around him, and Paul gets up and goes back into the town. I had to run the other way, but that's Paul. He goes on to Iconium later and then to Derb, and, uh, and then they reverse course back through all of those towns and go back to Antioch in Syria, back to the church that sent them. That's the first mission trip. And uh, they report back to the church in Antioch what all went on and the, the people that became believers in Christ. It's a wonderful celebration. Chapter 15, though, another controversy happens. Some people come to Antioch, and they start telling the Gentiles, that they have to be circumcised to believe in Jesus Christ, to be saved. Now, we know today that that's not true, but that was one of the things that the Jews kept hanging on to and kept trying to force on the Gentiles. So they went down to Jerusalem, or up to Jerusalem in, in elevation. They went to Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem, and met with the apostles and the elders, and they formed the first church council that had ever been formed. Um, if you know anything about church history, there's been church councils for centuries since then. But this was the first one. And they decided as a council to not put that restriction on the Gentiles because it wasn't necessary. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later because they go on and, and, we, and Paul and, and Silas and Timothy share that. But this is also where, at the end of this chapter 15, is where Paul and Barnabas part company. They part company over a, 
a situation with a guy named John Mark, uh, the guy who actually wrote the book of Mark. Um, he had left them in the first mission trip, abandoned them. Paul didn't want him along because he couldn't count on him. Barnabas was his cousin, kind of stood up for family. They decided to go their separate ways. Paul and John, I mean, Paul and, I mean, Barnabas and John Mark went down to Cyprus, back to his home island. Paul selects Silas from Jerusalem. He selects Silas and he takes off to go through what we know today as modern day Turkey. So that split formed two other teams, if you will. And, and God used that moment of contention to continue to spread the gospel. So that's kind of where you are at this point. And now we're going to talk about Paul and Silas and they head back and they're reversing course through the towns where Paul and Barnabas had already planted churches. They're going back and they're revisiting them. And on their way, they pick up a young man, a young man to aid in their mission. So that's where it picks up in Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 1. He says, Paul went on to Derb and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you for what he, he did, how he continued to press forward with the message, regardless of trials, persecutions, disagreements, regardless of even getting stoned, he carried the gospel forward. May we have that kind of tenacity. May we see our own lives as, as trumpets and shouters and proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we know we're supposed to be doing that. You've called us to it. So show us what steps we need to take to get our minds back on the mission of the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So after these many testing events that I just kind of rattled off to you in 12 through 15, Paul puts it all behind him. And he says, okay, we're going back to these churches and revisit them. And he presses on to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what we as a church need to do. We as a church always need to be overcoming the trials and the trivial things of this world, looking for the eternal world by spreading the gospel. That's, that's what we're called to do. We're called to send the gospel out, plant churches wherever we go, and get the gospel to the unreached peoples of this world. And there are nearly 7,000 people groups out there, language people groups, that have not ever heard the gospel. Some of them don't even have a written language, but that's another whole story. So what did Paul do to keep the missional focus? Well, he took some very deliberate steps to keep his eye on the prize, to keep his eye on what God had called him to do. First of all, he calls missional people to go. He goes deliberately to Derb to call Timothy to the mission. Verses 1 through 3. Let me read this again. Paul went on to Derb and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. But his father was a Greek. The brother and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him because of the Jews. Paul, I mean, spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul and Silas take off from Antioch, which is actually was in, is in Syria. And unfortunately, I heard the other day the ruins of Antioch have been destroyed by the earthquake. So the ruins are now under rubble. 
But that little town, that place, they took off and went northwest into what's now today modern Turkey. And they visited regions like Cilicia, Cappadocia, and Phrygia. And Paul's standard operating procedure always was when he plants a church, he visits it again sometime in the future. And then he revisits it again. And if he gets a chance, he'll visit it a fourth time or a third time. He goes at least three times to these churches. And he goes to these same churches because he wants to encourage them. Now, he deliberately picked Durr because he knew somebody was there that he wanted to call into the ministry. But he knew in the pagan world that these Roman citizens and these churches lived in, they would need constant encouragement. They would need someone coming back and reminding them what they had believed. When you read Paul's letters in the Bible, you read so many times he says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters. He wants them to remember. And so he cares enough that he's going to make a special trip back. If he was going to go to a new territory, he could have gotten a boat and sailed all the way around uh, Greece and gotten into a new area that he'd never been in. But he knew these churches needed his help. He knew the pagan world, would, which they would struggle to be faithful to Christ because there were so many things that tempted them. There was so much irreligion in the sense. There were so many idols. I mean, you look at the Greek mythology, you look at the Roman mythology, there's just gods for everything, not quite as many as the Hindus with 330 million gods. But on top of his revisits, he would also look for people to lead to Christ as well as to lead into the ministry. And this particular trip, he was looking for Timothy. He went to Derb specifically for that. He probably met Timothy back in chapter 14, verse 20, when he was there the first time, and probably had seen Timothy come to Christ. And Timothy was probably already doing work, and probably Paul had heard, because Paul kept in contact with a lot of these churches through messages and stuff. They didn't have email or texting, but they had ways to send messages, um, but Timothy, he's, he's kind of interesting. He's an interesting heritage there. It says there he had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. A Jewish mother and a Greek father. Well, interracial marriages in the Jewish culture was not allowed by Mosaic law. But as time had gone on, since the, the children of Israel had been exiled and stuff, a lot of the Jews that were outside Palestine, they were outside the, 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 the Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee area, they didn't quite observe these so closely of of not mixing the races. And so um, his father was most likely dead by the, the verbiage and the way the words are written there. His father's probably passed away. So his mother's race, his mother's ethnicity took precedent. And so, you know, God, God uses all kinds of people to carry his message to the world. And so he's going to use Timothy's mixed heritage. It's suited well for what Paul's going to use Timothy for. But the churches in this town, Lystra, Derb, Iconium, they all knew Timothy. And these towns are not like on top of each other like us in Effingham. They're, they're pretty far apart. Some of them are. And so he's going around to these other places, and the churches in those towns knew Timothy. They spoke well of him. He had a good reputation. His reputation with believers and unbelievers was good, and it was amiable. And he represented Christ well, which is a requirement of any pastor or elder in a church, and it should be a requirement for all of us, really. We should be people that are, are representing Christ well. But they knew Jesus, and, and they, knew, I mean, they knew Timothy, and he was above reproach. So Paul saw an advantage to this, okay? He saw the advantage that Timothy being Greek, Gentile, and also being Jewish, he could do a lot of things. Like, he could go to synagogue. In all these towns, there was probably a synagogue. He could go to the synagogue without any problem because he was Jewish, 
but he could also go to the temples of the other gods or he could meet with the Gentiles and be compatible with them. It was a great kind of win-win for Paul, and he knew Timothy was, was up to the challenge. There was just one little detail that Paul needed to take care of. Paul realized and found out that Timothy had not been circumcised. As a, as a, as a Greek son, they just didn't do it. And the mother probably didn't press the case, but he said, we need to fix this. He was Jewish, but he was not circumcised. And it's not that the, it's not that the synagogues visibly checked that thing, whether it, it, he is or isn't, but he didn't want Paul, Timothy to be put in a position to have to lie to the rabbis at these synagogues. I mean, why would he do that? So he saw this little bump in the road that could possibly cause some issues, and he said, there's no reason why we can't fix this. So Paul, being a priest, he performed the ceremony, the ritual, and the surgery to eliminate a point of contention with the Jews and also a temptation to Timothy to kind of like lie, which Timothy probably wouldn't have done anyway. But this was not for Timothy's salvation. Understand that. This does not violate what the letter that the Jerusalem church has sent out. This does not violate what we know as how people are saved. This didn't have anything to do with that. It was a, 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 a barrier that Paul was eliminating so that Timothy, Silas, and Paul could minister better. It's just like when you, when you would go to a foreign country, and if you're going to be there for two years, like Emily Carter is right now in South Korea, she is learning the language. She's not over there thinking that because I'm American, I just can speak English and you'll just have to adapt. She's overcoming that barrier by learning South Korean language. And so it's the same thing. Paul is just trying to eliminate any kind of barriers, any kind of restrictions, any kind of hindrances. Because all the Jews in that area knew, the believing and the unbelieving Jews, they knew that Timothy was a mixed race. So Paul countered their potential complaint by having him circumcised. Paul is called a missional-minded young man. He's called him. And Timothy has said yes, and the gospel went deeper because of this, into Asia, into Mysia, as well as into Europe on this trip. And Timothy was part of that. And Paul saw Timothy as a person that could be used for that. I'm not sure Timothy ever considered that he was going to be called to the ministry. He was just doing what he knew to be doing right there in his little, those little towns. When, uh, when I was saved by Christ in 1982, I was already on a track headed to the military. I was already thinking that I wanted to fly airplanes. Boy, I wanted to fly airplanes. That was, that was my dream job. And, uh, after I got saved and sat under some discipleship for about a year, I realized, you know, I, never, I came up with that plan on my own to go in the military, to fly airplanes. I better check with God first and see if that's what he wants for me. So I spent some time, about six months, praying and, and, and just waiting for God to, to see if he had another path for me, one that could have been missions, one that could have been where I might have been doing this earlier. But... As a faithful follower of Christ, I thought I had to cons uh, consider it. But as you know from my history, by several circumstances and, and peace, God led me to stay on track in the military. And the rest is, as they say, history. And so, But that exercise right there where I stopped and I prayed, earnestly seeking if I was supposed to go do something different than what I wanted to do, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me a, a whole bunch. So never assume you've got God figured out. Never assume that your track in life is set and you've got it picked out and you know exactly how it's going to go. Because let me tell you, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he loves 
throwing some curveballs at you and some turns in your life. I never dreamed I'd be doing this right here later. I never did. Once, once I'd been set on that course, I never thought, God, but here we are. Well, Paul recounts this to Timothy later when he writes a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1. In chapter 1 he, of that, verses 5 to 7, he kind of goes through what he saw in Timothy before and then what Timothy did as a result. He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. See, Paul reminds Timothy of the call God's placed on him. God has called all of us to some sort of mission. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to serve him, to carry the gospel wherever you are. And we need to be fearless about that. So the question for this, us this morning is, have you ever asked God to send you to missions, to send you to someplace not here? Have you ever asked him for that? I'm betting most of us haven't. Have you prayed for more harvesters to come and reap the harvest of the field? When you pray that, are you offering your services? A lot of times we won't pray that because we're afraid he might pick us. We're afraid we're going to wind up in the Congo somewhere or the Amazon. But God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. Are you afraid to pray for God to call you? I hope not. Ask God to use you. Not everybody's going to end up in the deepest, darkest Africa, but I know folks that are there, and they wouldn't trade it for the world. So they're happy. They're at peace. But ask God to use you. Make yourself available, and God will use you in some way, shape, or form because we're all called to do that. This life is short. It's temporary. What's in heaven is what lasts. So when you, call, when you ask him, don't put caveats on it. Oh, God, I'll go there, but don't send me to Africa. I'll go wherever you want, but there's no buts in that. There's no conditions. There's no qualifications on it. We have to be completely surrendered when we ask God to put us in service. We need to be open to anything he offers. Because let me tell you something. When he offers it, he probably wants you to go, and he'll make you miserable till you do. Let me, let me tell you that. I, I got to do my dream job. Praise the Lord. But I was ready to give it up. It would have been difficult. It would have been very difficult. Um, but now here I am in the ministry. Who would have knew? Praise the Lord. But if you're fully surrendered, listen to this. Watch this carefully. If you're fully surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the words, no Lord, can never come out of your mouth. You can never say that. If he's truly your Lord, it's always, yes, Lord. Whatever he asks you to do, it's always, yes, Lord. It's the proper response. It, and it's the best answer you'll ever give. Okay? It's the best answer you'll ever give someone. You know, missionaries are my favorite people. They really are. Why? I'm glad you asked. Well, here's why. They don't care who the president of the United States is. They don't care. They may have voted, but they don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't, there's no skin off of their nose. They don't care which party controls Congress. They don't. They don't care about anybody. They don't care about the economy. They don't care about crime. They don't care about politics. Those don't disturb them. They have a singular focus, eternity, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
as I've met them, it's like they're, they're content, they're happy, and they're, they scratch their heads when they get over back here for a furlough, and they're like, what the heck is going on over here? And some of them are really ready to go back where they are serving because there's none of that. They keep their eyes on the prize. They keep their eyes on eternity. They keep a missional focus. They concern themselves only with the souls of humanity who need Jesus Christ. And that is all that matters. A single focus and a single purpose. And for them, it seems to be a great life. And I'm imagining if we kind of got our focus right, it'd be a great life for us too. So I'm calling you today. I'm saying, hey, be missional-minded. Focus on the mission of Jesus Christ. I want you all to ask God. If, if it empties the room, I don't care. If, God, if you've asked God and God sends you to the mission field and you leave Altamont, praise Jesus. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. God does not call those who are qualified, so don't be worried if you're qualified for this. He qualifies those who are called. Don't make excuses or doubt your abilities or any of that kind of stuff. God will get you ready when he sends you. Every missionary I've ever talked to, they're like, I never would have dreamed I'd be doing this. I never would have dreamed I'd have gone here. You know, I've met missionaries who have had to create a written language because the people they were with did not have a written language. So they took their, their oral language, converted it to alphabet, and then taught them to read so they could write a Bible so they could read the Bible. It took three, four, five years, some of them. And they're happy and they're content because they know they're right in the center of God's will. We need to surrender ourselves to that, okay? We need to seek to be missional-minded believers and then find others of the same mindset. That's what Paul and Timothy did here. Paul saw Timothy. Timothy joined him. It was great. And now they're going to go and encourage other churches. That's the next step he took, encouraging missional churches, verses 4 through 5. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now Timothy's prepped, taking care of that little circumcision issue, and so we're not going to be eliminated from the synagogues. They head to previously planted churches. They went to the churches they had already talked about. Like I said, Lystra, Derb, Iconium, uh, Pisidian, Antioch. They went all over the place. And they encouraged them to be missional. How? They took these decisions that were made by this Jerusalem council to tell them that you don't have to follow these other rituals of any religion to believe in Jesus Christ. They told the Gentiles and the Jews, both parties, by the way, that covers everybody. You're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. They told them that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. There's no rituals you can add to it. Jews, you can't add circumcision to this. Gentiles, you can't add sacrificing ducks or whatever it is they sacrifice. There's all kinds of weird stuff they wanted, might want to add. Paul and Timothy and Silas, they're telling them, don't add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by him alone, from him alone. You just have to believe it. Trust it. That's what Jeremy was encouraging you when we were doing the Lord's Supper and just trusting that. They gave them what the final word was. Here's what the final word from the Jerusalem council that was made up of the 11 apostles that were left 
and, and a group of elders that was now in charge and controlling the church led by James, the brother of Jesus. In verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 28 through 29, the end of chapter 15, if you've got your Bible open, you can just go up there and look at it. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, that you abstain from blood, that you abstain from eating anything that has been strangled, and that you abstain from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. So I'm going to give you a little lesson on what these things are. There are two sensitivities there and two commands, okay? Two sensitivities, two things to be sensitive to because of the people you're going to be relating to and two things that are actual commands out of God's Word. The two sensitivities is don't eat anything with blood in it and don't eat anything strangled. That was a requirement in the Jewish law, and I think there was even some pagan laws about uh, strangled animals. But considering the Jews' past indoctrination and, and what they had gone through, avoiding those things might help you communicate with Jews a little better. It eliminates some roadblocks, eliminates some hindrances. Uh, it's not a problem for us today, so I'm not telling you not to eat your steak medium well or medium rare. I love a medium rare steak. So um, avoiding these issues would but help a church meld the Gentiles and Jews together because they were going to be mixed churches, trust me. Paul's, one of Paul's standard procedures was to go to the synagogue first in every town he went to, lead as many Jews to Christ, and then he would go out and preach to the Gentiles and combine the two and make a church and then go to the next town. So they were going to be combining Gentiles and Jews. And so these sensitivities were just to be careful with what we, we had the freedom to do. And, and Paul had the freedom to do this. And there's, man, there's plenty in 1 Corinthians and, and Romans about all of that. And that would be another whole sermon as well or two. The two commands, though, do not worship idols and no sexual immorality, no sexual sin, no adultery, no, no fornication outside of marriage. Sex is considered to be within the bounds of marriage, holy matrimony between a man and a woman. These are right out of the ten, the big ten, okay? So they still apply today, okay? Don't eat meat offered to an idol. Well, we kind of like, well, what does that matter? It's not really, there's, the idols are not really bad. Well, if you make someone think you're worshiping that idol because you're eating that meat, that's a bad witness for Christ. Okay? That's what, that's what Paul was concerned about. Don't dabble in it. There's no reason to. There's plenty of other food. Now, this was a problem in Madagascar where I went over there for six weeks in 2016. Those people have an animism that worships their ancestors, and they sacrifice meat to those ancestors. And then if they have a funeral or a wedding, you may be eating meat that was sacrificed to an ancestor. So how do you treat that? And I had a lot of pastors there asking me a lot of questions about this. And that's a, that's a story for another time. But idols don't make the meat bad. But if eating it makes people think you're worshiping that idol, then don't do that. You can get food somewhere else. And Peter wrote to us how we're supposed to use our freedoms in Christ. We have freedom in Christ to not do some of these things or to, to do some of these things that there's always been a prohibition about. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Make sure your freedom doesn't make someone else stumble. Make sure your freedom doesn't cause someone else to, to stop and not trust Christ or not even consider Christ. It doesn't block someone from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we Americans, we're big on freedom, so 
Careful how you use those. So they went around spreading these decisions to these churches, these new decisions. And it would encourage harmony. Boy, we need harmony in our churches, that's for sure. And it would offer an unfettered, unhindered gospel to all who were there at that church, to all who would believe. And so, henceforth, the churches grew. The churches grew in faith. They grew in numbers. They grew in strength because the kingdom of God was being pushed forth. There was no ethnic diversities going on in those churches because these decisions had eliminated them. How do we encourage mission focus now? Well, I ask, I ask a pastor that has been pastoring for a long time in a church that when he got there was just kind of like drawing down in size and also in, in just health, you know, faithfulness. And he said, getting the church focused on the kingdom of God again through missions has improved their health a lot. Missions. We need to be going we need to be sending, we need to be supporting, we need to be praying, and we need to be hearing the good news that's going out. Those are our options. We're really not given anything else in Scripture. We're supposed to be doing those things one way or the other. He's, he said it, it, it did wonders for his people, and we need to be doing it as well. And so I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm not here to build a church. We're not here to build a church. We're here to build the kingdom of God. Now, he uses the church to build the kingdom of God, and that's why we're gathered this morning, to worship him, to unite together, to work together, to carry the gospel. But that's, our focus needs to be the kingdom of God. Our church attendance, our church baptisms, our church offerings, they will not be announced in heaven when we're standing before the, the judgment seat of God. He will not say, well, you came from a church that baptized blah, blah, blah. That's not going to happen. Your church gave this much money to missions. That's not going to happen. Those don't matter. You know what matters? Faithfulness. Remember what Jesus said? Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's right. My good and faithful servant. Not my person who gave big chunks of money. That's what's going to be measured in heaven. It's already being measured. The only thing that counts there is how faithful we've been, mess we've been to the message of Jesus Christ. That's what counts. Now, Jesus, like I said, established his church to be the faithful servant body to carry that mission out. That's what we're supposed to be doing, which is why we do Annie Armstrong. We do the offering in the, at Christmas time for the international missions. That's why we do those things, because we can support it with our giving. Because some of us are supposed to stay back here and send, and some of us are actually supposed to go. Um, and, and I think we all need to be praying if we're supposed to go first. God may let you stay here and send, and that's okay. But you also need to be going here. There is a lot of unchurched, unbelieving people in this little town that don't know Jesus Christ, that don't know the hope of eternity. So go across the street. Go across the back fence. Go across the store and talk to somebody. Develop the relationships and introduce them to the Lord and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Are we faithful to his kingdom? That's the, really the, the bottom line of this. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they, they went. And they eventually went into Europe in this, on this particular trip and led a lady named Lydia to Christ who eventually put a church in her home in Philippi. 
And the letter to the Philippians was written to that church that was formed in her home. There's no telling what God can do with us. No telling. If we just make ourselves available and keep our eyes on the kingdom of God. Let me summarize what kind of happened here. That Paul saw Timothy, he recruited him by the Holy Spirit, and they together carried the gospel around the world. By the way, those lands that they carried the gospel to now are in need of the gospel now. Most of those cities that where Timothy was is now modern-day Turkey, a Muslim country. Europe, where they went into, is Greece. And there's not very many Christians in Greece and in some of those uh, areas of, of Europe. Matter of fact, most of Europe has kind of gone dark in terms of Christianity. That's why we support a, a young man in Italy, Alessandro. He's there trying to get the gospel to into a, a group of, uh, into the Italians because they've just forgotten what Jesus Christ is all about. We can do this. So, as we close, I want to take some time of prayer, just a, a time for us to all ask God to use us. I want us to pray, pray hard over our part, our future. Your individual future in this, your individual part. To remind yourself that we're supposed to be committed to missions and we must fight it. We must fight by prayer and by God's word to get the gospel out, to keep ourselves missionally focused. So let's pray now. If you want to come to the front and pray, feel free to do that. We'll have a time of silent prayer for a few minutes and then I'll close us out. Let's pray.